want to start this episode with a quote from Albert Einstein. He said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. In this episode, Greg and I have a conversation on change and more specifically how we can change our mindset to change. A lot of the times change happens and it's unexpected and we're caught off guard. And I think it's very important. And Greg points out very well how we can stay prepared so that when change does happen, it doesn't take us by surprise and we're more better equipped to handle the change. And we can even look at it by having the right mindset. We can look at it as a positive because it'll help us move forward in life. Um, It was a very enjoyable conversation. And, you know, just listening back to what Greg had to say, it's, it's, it's one of those episodes I feel like I can just, you know, listen back to it. It was very insightful and he really knows what he's talking about. And it was just a joy to chat with him. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, what I've read is that you nearly lost your voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you like, was that like, did you have to find your confidence after that or, or something you always had? Uh that's a good question. I had to regain confidence in my voice. So speaking, I, I've always been a performer. And once you spend enough time on stage and you learn how to read the audience, how to read a room, it's not that intimidating to get up and speak in front of people because you can really quickly look at the the, the micro signals that people's body language is giving you, the macro, the big signals that you're getting from the room, you can figure out where to go when something isn't working. And the most important skill that any performer, uh, yeah, any performer, no matter what discipline you're in, I'd say, and the most important skill that you can develop is the ability to change on the spot, to be able yeah. to change tactics in, in terms of the conversation, where it's going, that's so valuable. And in my work, it's incredibly valuable. What, what was unusual was having to regain confidence that my voice was going to be there, you know, what it would sound like, how long I can use my voice for. That's never something I had to think about before. Yeah. The uncertainty of Mm -hmm. Yeah. But now, you know, I, 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 I'm more comfortable with what those parameters are. I am more cognizant of the warning signs. So just like you learn how to read a room, I learn how to read my voice. Right. And there's certain things that I hear when my voice starts, I start clearing my throat, <clears throat> you know, a little <clears throat> too much in yeah. a conversation. That's telling me that my voice is a little drier than it should be. Maybe it's a little more tired than it should be. And I can do things to address it, to mitigate the, you know, the, the potential issue. Whereas before I just plowed through, did the same thing, kept plowing through and, and, ultimately found myself in a position where doctors said, look, if you don't make a change, you're going to lose your voice forever. That was a scary place to be. Yeah. I think, uh, I think it's all, it's, it's great. Um, it's a great, number one, great segue into talking about change and how we can make a change. And also just want to add that it's, you know, it's, I think depending on the way you look at it and you've looked at it from a great perspective where you have efficiency with what you say, um, which probably, you know, makes makes you even better at your job. So, um, you know, good job um, and, and great work for that. Thanks. Um, and, and just uh, and change. Let's talk about change. Um, really, in, like, really excited to talk about change with you. Um, I got a few questions lined up. Um, that I, 
can uh, them. what you got <laughs> yeah, yeah so let, let's address them so first one um and also just just before we start i know we spoke uh about yourself but do you want to just quickly say um something to the audience about yourself a little introduction or what what may be sure my name's greg i have a new daughter her name is francelle love her to death um live in philadelphia and I've started introducing myself this way because I passionately believe that one of the biggest obstacles to change, specifically when it comes to professional setting, is that we tend to introduce ourselves by saying like, hi, I'm Greg. I'm a keynote speaker and event MC. I work with organizations and do blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And when we tie our identity, who we are, like that to what we do, then change becomes really, really scary. And certainly you could say, well, Greg, you just tied who you are to your daughter and where you live. Well, God, I hope I don't have to reckon with a change in who my daughter is or, you know, I'm not really looking to move. So a change in where I live. So those are two things that are pretty squarely me that will always be me. But every event I went to, you know, before I left the corporate world, George, when I would meet someone at a conference. I would generally say, hey, I'm Greg, you know, I work for blah, blah, blah in such and such sector. Uh, you know, this is who I help and how I help them, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. And I would never really get the response that I wanted. Yeah. So one day I thought, you know what, I'm going to try something different. And so someone came up at a networking event, at a, you know, at a conference and they said, hi, you know, I'm Frank or whatever their name was, you know, who are you? And I said, my name's Greg. Nice to meet you. And they said, oh, cool. What do you do? And I paused for a second and I looked at him and I said, you don't care. <laughs> and you should have seen their face. It was, it was like a mix of relief and surprise. Yeah. And I said, look, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but like, you don't care what I do for a living. You know, what you might be interested in is to hear that I'm a professional dueling piano player. I've played on five continents all over the world. Wow. And immediately their guard went down and they said, well, oh, that's really cool. I said, thanks. I'm happy to tell you about it, but I'm curious. You know, what did you play growing up? Was it sports? Was it music? You know, what did you like to do? And now we're in this conversation and we're getting to know each other as people. Yeah. And then later on, we can decide if there's a business connection as well. So, you know, of course, your listeners know by now that I am an event MC, that I speak at conferences, generally as a keynote speaker all over the world. Um, what they might not know is that I love to play ice hockey. But so now, now that now I think they know a good bit yeah. about me. Um, and I've done what I think is important, which is not tie my identity, who I am to, to what I'm doing. Cause you know, who knows in a couple of years, George, you may be doing something very different. I may be doing something very different and we'll come back I, to the podcast and you'll go, Oh yeah. Greg's that guy with the daughter who's from Philadelphia. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. You'll still be that guy regardless. Um, that, that's, that's beautiful. Um, I've never thought about it that way. Thank you for sharing that. And and moving on as well, um, Greg, let's talk about change. Change, um, I read this somewhere, is the only constant in life that we have. Um, how can we be more prepared for it? Yeah, that's a really good point, George. It is. I, if you think about trees growing, winds blowing, if all of that stops, there's a good chance that life has stopped. And so if we stop changing, there's a good chance that we're dead. <laughs> we're going to constantly change. And I think that's the first step to being prepared for, for change in life, George, is to just acknowledge that it's yeah. constant. There's, I was in a conference in October down in Orlando, 
and a young professional asked me, how will I know when I've made it? And I thought that was such a great question to get because it's one that a lot of us think, but don't really have the confidence to ask. And here he was in a room full of nearly a thousand people, stood up, took the microphone and asked it. And as I thought about his question, I realized that I've been where he was. And maybe some of your listeners have been there too. Maybe you've been there, George, where I had a goal and I set out to achieve it. And the day that I achieved my goal, I was super excited. And I wanted to tell at the time, you know, told my mom and tell my friends and tell everybody, I'm excited I did this. And then I woke up the next day and not that I wasn't excited, but things were normal. Yeah. Things just were. And in that question I got at the conference, the tie-in to that story is that we never make it. We just simply create a new normal. Every achievement, you know, if you talk to a millionaire, I think they say the best day of their life is the day they become a millionaire. And the worst day of their life is the very next one. <laughs> because you realize that nothing really changed. <laughs> a couple more zeros in your bank account, but you're still you. The world is still the world. And a lot of folks, myself included, I know for a long time, they set out to, to, to make change or they look at change as when I or once I, or I finally, yeah. you know, that is to say, you know, when I become this or once I do this, or I'll finally feel okay when, and it's such a false declaration to ourselves because once we get to that point, when we get to that point, if we finally get to that point, we realize that it wasn't really about getting to that point in terms of the arrival. Yeah. It was about getting to that point in terms of the journey, the process. Yeah. Yeah. What we develop into often preparing for an event is more gratifying than the event itself for me. Maybe I shouldn't say that in public, but it's kind of true. It's sort of this anticlimactic letdown. You go to the conference, you speak on stage and then you hop on the plane and it's like, Oh, that's, that's done. No. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, I, I think back to, you know, I think like, so I play basketball and I think back to like the, the biggest victories I've had, uh, the, the games, you know, they only last, you know, an hour or two. And then after that, it's, it's over, you know, and, and, you know, obviously you win, you're happy, but the preparation for it, I think like focus and, and, and then obviously all of the, the previous games and, and the conversations um, and, and obviously the hard work. All of that to me is is what makes it gratifying is the, the story you have to tell about, you know, the end result, essentially the process, like you said. Yeah, that's that's where all of our growth happens. That's why graduation days from school are often bittersweet. You know, I went to military school for high school and God, I couldn't wait to get out of there, George, wearing uniforms. And it was an all guys boarding school right as you're in puberty and becoming interested in girls or whoever it is that you're interested in, in in your life. And, and there I was stuck in this military school. I couldn't wait to get out. And, and I look back and some of the times I spent there that were just the worst in the moment are some of the ones I cherish the most 
because of the relationships they helped me create. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept, isn't it? The the fact that some of the happiest moments you have, you look back and they're like the saddest ones to kind of, you know, think through. And then some of the most the the you know the the worst moments in your life, you look back and they're they're the ones that kind of make you the happiest because you learn so much from it. it it's it's an interesting concept, I think. Yeah, it is. And and I wish everyone had your level of understanding of of the power of that statement you just made, because it really does change how we experience life. When we pursue, and it's funny, I, I literally just posted about this uh, today on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. Most of my time on social is LinkedIn. But I just posted today that there are so many of us who seem obsessed with certainty, with wanting to be right or wanting to get it right, that it's got to be right. And yeah, you know, we can't, we can't have buildings that are built uh, inadequately such that they collapse on people or bridges that are unstructurally sound. That's not what I'm saying. But in terms of ideas, and you can look in the world of politics and the world of education, I mean, anywhere where ideas evolve, where, where viewpoints evolve based on new information, we, there are so many people who are obsessed with certainty. And I wish they would get obsessed with curiosity. Yeah. Because if change is constant, that means that the information you had available to you yesterday to make a decision is different than the information you'll have available tomorrow. Yeah. If you've planted a flag and said, this is what I think, this is what I believe, that's a really tough word is believe, because beliefs are, are they're even more powerful and more ingrained than thoughts, but this is it, and you're not going to make me move, then we've just created a really difficult circumstance for ourselves to live in because the rest of the world and, and the ideas and the information the world has available is going to evolve. If we're unwilling to evolve our perspective, we're in for a really rough ride. And the beauty of that hindsight that you just talked about, George, is that we have now an evolved perspective to look back and say, oh, that time that I was really sad or really unhappy, man, in the moment, yes, that from that limited perspective, that was a bad experience. But what came from that over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, my whole lifetime, that was one of the most important experiences of my life. And yeah. for me, losing, you know, being told by the doctor, I remember sitting there very vividly sitting there and the doctor said, do you understand what I'm telling you? If you don't do something about this voice and we're recommending surgery, in two months, you won't have a voice. Wow. You won't be able to speak. We, it'll never come back. We can't, there's no vocal cord transplant. That's yeah. it. And in the moment, that was one of the worst days of my life. Yeah. But now, even after, you know, five-ish plus years, uh, already I'm seeing that that was actually one of the best things to ever happen to me. Yeah. And and to go, to go through that and have the courage to face that kind of adversity, it really, you know, it, it makes every everything else like a lot smaller, uh, puts things into perspective. And also just to, to summarize, um, you know, what you said is, um, you know, the one thing, how we can be prepared for change is to know that it's there and it's always coming. Um, and, and so, you know, you can't, and again, I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you can't necessarily be prepared for it, but it is, you know, it is coming. Um, well, so, yeah. Sorry, finish that thought. No, yeah. So, so you can't necessarily be prepared for it, for the, for the certainty, um, 
uh, of life. So, but you can just you can just know that it's coming and face everything uh, with courage, essentially. Yeah, there's there's this concept of being ready without having to get ready, and and that's what helps most people in their day to day with change. And as a musician, there's a process that we use to get ready. We call it I call it the performer's process. And if mm. you're a musician, this will sound pretty familiar. You learn a piece of music. Yeah. You, you, you pick it off the shelf and you say, I want to learn how to play this, a symphony by Beethoven. Yeah. And then you practice it. And when we practice, we don't practice the whole thing cover to cover. We break yeah. it down into pieces. You said you play basketball. So this is a great example. You don't practice a basketball game, right? You practice your free throw. You practice dribbling. You practice layups. You practice yeah. inbounding. Yeah. Those are all components of a game. And so when a musician practices a piece of music, they're practicing components and then linking them together. And the reason that we practice is because what's going to come next is something called rehearsal. <clears throat> rehearsal is when we play it cover to cover. Yeah. Rehearsal for you might be a scrimmage. Yeah. Right? Sure. And then the final step that we all want to be ready for as a musician is when we take it out on stage and perform. Well, what's the difference between, you know, a scrimmage and a performance? Most people say, well, scrimmage, you know, who cares? When you go out on the court for a real game, one that counts, oh, the pressure's on. What I found is that what we should do is pursue the opposite. We should create additional pressure and more difficult conditions when we rehearse, when we have a scrimmage, so that when we go on the court or on stage or out into life, when we perform, the pressure is actually lower. You know, mm. for example, if you're in a business scenario and you've got a big pitch coming up, well, you're probably not going to pitch in a room where other people are having a conversation or where there's a TV blaring, or, you know, if you have a PowerPoint, you'll probably have the PowerPoint. You wouldn't yeah. present in the business meeting without the PowerPoint. But when you rehearse, what if you set up a radio at the other end of the boardroom that you're yeah. practicing, that you're rehearsing in rather, and you, you turn that sucker up to 11, right? You make it really loud so it's distracting and you try to pitch even with that distraction. Yeah. Or you take the PowerPoint away and you try to pitch without the PowerPoint. Yeah. When you've got it, we're making the performance scenario lower pressure because the, the stakes, the outcome is higher. No one's going to deny that. The outcome is more important when you're on stage performing yeah. than when you're rehearsing. Yeah. But and the pressure doesn't have to be as high. That that is a great explanation. Uh, thank you. That's, yeah. that's brilliant. Um, and just to move on, because I still have a couple more questions I want to get through before I let you go. Um, so the next one here is that you spoke uh, about businesses having an obligation to make their staff better workers and better people. Um, I know I, I, I'm very fortunate. I work for Westminster City Council here in London. And I'm very fortunate because they do have this ethos where they do want to make uh, all their workers not only better workers, but also better people. So they offer a lot of incentives, so on and so forth. Uh, but I am also aware that there's a lot of businesses that don't offer the, these these privileges. Um, so how can people do this for themselves? It's a good question. I'm curious. What is one of the benefits or one of the uh, takeaways or the trainings that you get at work that you really appreciate that's not necessarily work skill driven, but that's more in service of making you a better person. 
Well, one off the top of my head is they, they provide training on on uh, confidence, for example. So there, there'll be a workshop, like a four-hour workshop, where they teach you how to have confidence, whether that's in meetings or or um, just generally. Um, and then and then things like uh, vision, like, you know, having vision not only for your career, um, but for your life as well. So, again, it, it's it relates to work a little bit, but it also doesn't. No, I think that's a really good example for you to put forward. So you asked, the question you asked is, how does an individual do that if their company isn't providing it? Is that right, George? That's right. Okay. Well, we learn one of two ways. Anything in life that you know, you've learned one of two ways. You've either taught yourself or you've been taught by someone else. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a formal teaching. It could mean... In the, in the environment in which you grew up in, you saw X behavior and you decided either that was a helpful or a harmful behavior for you to adopt. Yeah. And so you either did or didn't adopt it. That means the people around you taught you or you taught yourself a different behavior because let's say, you know, maybe whatever you saw modeled wasn't something you wanted to replicate. You said, I'm going to do something else. And you went out and learned how to do that other thing. If the people around you, your colleagues, aren't going to to teach you, then it's our obligation to teach ourselves. Yeah. And just like in that performer's process, it starts with learning, with picking a piece of music. What determines the degree of success that your listeners are going to have is, is the choices they make and what they go to teach themselves. And I've learned that there are seven key competencies, key skill sets. Uh, yeah. that we could choose from if we need a place to start. And I call them the seven keys of success because the piano has keys and I play the piano and that's an easy way for me to remember things, right? So piano keys start on C. Regular mm -hmm. alphabet goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G. The piano, the musical alphabet starts with C. And so the seven keys of success are curiosity, disruption, yeah, yeah. energy, Focus, gratitude, attitude, and belief. And just Brilliant. real quick, I want to make a distinction. Attitude and belief are where people often get tripped up. Attitude is what you see when you look at me. When I walk into a room, what you see, what you're interpreting, what you're processing, that's my attitude. Belief is what you see when you look in the mirror. What you believe about yourself is based on your reflection back to you. Your attitude is what other people believe about you based on what they process. So, the, But they're two very different skills. Understanding and confidence would fall into attitude and belief. That's a component of both because it's self-confidence and then projecting confidence. Am I, am I confident in myself when I look in the mirror? And do I project an aura such that people are confident in me when I'm in front of them? And to, to make this really simple, I just want to throw something out for your yeah. listeners. If, if they, if they text three, three, seven, 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 they text the word keys to K E Y S keys to three, three, seven, seven, seven. I will shoot them uh, that list of the seven keys of success and explain a bit better how each one applies, how they can be positives and negatives, depending on how we utilize them. And so that'd be a great place to answer a great question. That'd be a great place to start, George.
Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, and last question, just because I want to be mindful of your time as well. Um, last question here. What has been the biggest change you've made to improve your life? I thought you were going to say what's been the biggest change to your life. And I was going to say my daughter, because I've had to learn a whole lot of new skills as a father, um, new way to work a new way to everything. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, um, my best friend had a daughter uh, three years ago now, but ever since he's, uh, he's had a daughter, it's, I feel like my life has changed. <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly your, your relationship. And that, that is a funny thing about change, isn't it? That when we change, the people around us change even by doing just, even though they did nothing themselves, our relationship with everything around us changes. Yeah. And that's why that Wayne Dyer quote, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Uh, if you think about that um, dead poet society where Robin Williams gets up on the desk and he says, I stand up here to remind myself that I must always look at things from a different angle. Just by doing one small shift in our life, we can create a tremendous amount of knock on effect in terms of the change. For me, I think one of the biggest changes that I made was, was developing a habit of reading. Yeah. I consumed content and generally would consume content that had a purpose to it, not just like mindless TV, but I didn't read a whole lot. And so in about 2019, 20, excuse me, in about 2018, I said, all right, can you read 52 books in a year? Wow. And I did. And I was kind of unimpressed though, because I didn't retain as much as I wanted. So it was like, yeah, you could do it, but is what's the value there? Um, so I read about 20 to 30 books a year now, but I really try to get as much out of them. I, t I spend more time with them so I can yeah. get more of it. That habit can change your life. And it's as simple. I mean, you know, Audible, even YouTube, you can just go on YouTube and look up a book and they'll basically, there's probably a video of it being read to you there. You, we can learn while we're in the tube, while we're on the bus, while we're in the car, on a plane. I mean, it's so easy to use. Tony Robbins calls it net time, no extra time. Mm -hmm. Use that extra time um, just to put a new idea in our head. And, and even if it's a five-minute TED Talk or if it's a podcast like yours, which obviously your listeners are taking that time now to develop themselves, the return on that investment is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I for myself as well, um, definitely reading. And, and I think what you said about reading 52 books a year. Um, yeah, it's there's no point to to just reach numbers for the sake of it. There there's definitely has to be a bigger purpose behind it. So um, that that's a good that's a good point, actually, that you made to to read and spend more time with the book, um, with the books. Um, and also, Greg, I just want to I, I, you know, just to wrap up now, I really want to thank you for your time. Thank you for. Also, thank you for, you know, what you're doing with your life, the value that you're bringing to other people's lives as well. And um, I think, again, I said this at the beginning, but I think it's absolutely awesome. The fact that you bring your piano into your keynote um, events, um, I think it's really cool that you can that you said to yourself, you know what, let me try this. And it's something that you enjoy do doing. And it's something that obviously is is beneficial to what you're doing as well as something you enjoy doing. So um, I just think it's great for you to, you know, to be yourself in your work. Um, so I thank you for that. And just thank you for your time. Once again, it's been, it's been a great. I wish we could chat some more. Thank you so much. Thanks, George. It's an honor. Socrates said, 
the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new.